right, so our message series this spring is called Stories with Soul. It is a message series that looks at children's literature. There's a quote, probably by C.S. Lewis, we're not quite sure, but it's a good quote anyway, that says, any story worth hearing at eight is worth hearing at 80. When you scratch the surface of children's literature, you find literature. There's wisdom and depth in these stories. And actually, I think children's books often put things in very simple terms for us, and they can speak very clearly in a very uncomplicated way. It's sometimes a little easier for us to hear. So today's book is a recent publication called I Want My Hat Back. Does anyone know this book? No? Oh, one person, two people. Okay, just a couple of you, a few of you. Yes. If you were here for the first service, you know the book. I Want My Hat Back is a children's picture book that came out in uh, 2012, I think, and it's a fantastically illustrated book, but it is a sparse and simple little story. And so if you're not familiar with the story, I can fill you in pretty quick. This is our main character right here. He is a bear. His hat is gone. He wants it back. (laughs) You are seriously now caught up. (laughs) So this bear is missing his hat. It's a red little pointy hat. He loves it a lot. And so he decides to go find it. He goes on a quest through the forest. And as he goes along, he meets all these different little woodland creatures, and he asks each one plaintively, have you seen my hat? And no one has seen his hat. So it sounds like a sad story, right? But it's not really. It's about true grit and determination, American stick-to-itiveness. The first page of the book sets up the whole thing, It's just that picture of the bear with the text, my hat is gone, I want it back. He knows what he wants. So before I spoil the rest of the story for you, I want us to think about where we might identify with this bear. I want to ask us to all consider something. What is it that we want? What is it that you want right now? I have a list in my head. Some of those things are superficial. Some of those things are not. They're very close to my heart. Some of the things that I want right now are so tender that I'd probably be shy even about sharing them with you all. So we all have these things, right? We all probably have this list in our head, the things that we want. And I was hoping that we could all kind of explore this together, somehow all of us in this room, this experience of wanting and what it feels like So I'm going to choose something that I think is a pretty safe bet that we all have in common. How many of us want it to goddamn feel like spring already, right? Spring, it's supposed to be here. Yes, okay. So we want this so bad. What does it feel like? What does it feel like to want? Close your eyes even if you're comfortable and just sit with it. What does it feel like to want something? What does it feel like in your body? What's the energy in your body when you want something? I know for me it feels like something's trapped, maybe, in trying to get out. There's a restlessness. There's an energy. Maybe it feels like something has caught you up as soon as I say it. How many of you want it to feel like spring? It might feel like something swoops you up almost and has a hold on you, pulling you along. 
You can open your eyes now. So that feeling is desire. That feeling of desire that feels kind of good and bad at the same time. You're not really almost in control of the feeling, but you kind of like maybe being not in control. It's like a wave if you let yourself ride it. You might let yourself ride it if you feel like it's leading you somewhere. Right? The longing for spring feeling, the longing for spring wave is a pretty safe one to ride because we're pretty sure spring is going to get here eventually. Right? Desire catches us like that because it holds a tantalizing promise that maybe it is going to lead us or carry us somewhere that we really want to be. And so we do all know what this feels like, this experience of desire. But desire is not a word that you hear a lot in religious circles. Or if you do, sometimes it's not with good associations, right? Some of us may have grown up with the idea that desire was sinful, maybe particular kinds of desire, maybe sexual desire. Some of us might have felt the pull of a desire at some point in our lives towards something different, like a different way of life or lifestyle, a different way of expressing ourselves. We might have felt a pull of desire to live in a different part of the country or the world, or the pull of a desire to make a different set of choices for our family. And maybe we got the message somewhere there that desire was wrong. Maybe some of us hopped onto that desire train and feel like it still hasn't pulled into the station. That promised spring has not shown up yet. And so we do all know in some way what desire feels like, and we also know probably that desire can burn us. It's not always safe. Now, our band didn't sing this song today, but sometimes. The band here at Wellsprings does a song by the artist Pink called Try. And I know the chorus to that song. The first lines, right, go, where there is desire, there's going to be a flame. And where there's a flame, someone's bound to get burned. But what's the next line of that song? Yes, we have a hand raise. Yes. <laughs> you so just because it burns doesn't mean you're going to die hmm that's true isn't it fire burns it can be dangerous but even if we get burnt it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the end and if we can work skillfully with fire what are some of the things that fire can do Think about it. Fire can also do amazing things. The fire from the sun lights the entire sky. Depending on the circumstances that you're in, fire can save your life, even though it also has the power to destroy it. So we have these two different words in the English language for some reason, right? Slightly different, this thing called desire and this thing called wanting. And when we did our brief little closed-eye exercise earlier, I think we got a little bit of a clue to what might be the difference between these two words. We saw how talking about and noticing the thought of wanting, the thinking mind's wanting, 
led to an experience in our bodies, which is that deeper-rooted feeling of desire. Now, in the Buddhist tradition, there's a concept around this thought process of wanting. It's called wanting mind. And we read a passage, actually a chapter, from a book in one of our Wellspring springboards, Wellsprings 2.0. Now, if you want a real example of our core belief that the burning bush is blazing everywhere, this is where the best description of wanting mind I've ever found comes from. It's by a book by the founder and CEO of a wealth management firm, Brent Kessel. Can't make this stuff up. It's a book called It's Not About the Money. And the chapter that we read in Brent Kessel's book has the ever-so-cheerful title, You Will Never Have Enough. Thanks, Brent. (laughs) So in this chapter about how we'll never have enough, he talks about wanting mind, this experience that's so common to all of us that we can't ever say we're never going to do it again. It comes up. And he defines it as wanting mind is craving an experience that's different from the one that we currently have. Anytime we want something different from what we have, we are thinking we are living in wanting mind. It's about craving. It's about attachment. Because wanting mind gets us hooked on the idea that if we get the thing that we want, we will no longer feel this bad feeling. We will no longer feel this tension and this ache of longing, which is maybe kind of true, But the cycle aspect of it is less true, right? How many of us wanted something, got it, and then never wanted anything again? Good to go. (laughs) Right? But we tell ourselves this sometimes, right? I might say, I really want a vacation. As soon as I get that vacation, I'm going to be fine. Eh. It's something that we should get used to, that we should become friendly with, that we can get to know for ourselves. One of the most useful resources I've found for getting to know this feeling with myself is written, it's an article written by the Buddhist nun Pima Shadron. And she has a whole article about this concept that she calls Shenpa. Shenpa is a word that can be translated to attachment, the Buddhist concept of attachment. But Pima Shadron has a great way of talking about Shenpa as being hooked, as being hooked in right in the mouth like a fish. Right? That feeling of being swept up by something, that tantalizing possibility that if you just follow this thing, there might be something or somewhere else out there that's better that you're being pulled to. Now, the fish metaphor is a good one because we all know where the fish is being pulled to, right? Is it better? Not for the fish. And I think rationally, if we were purely rational creatures, which we're not, we, we know that Getting hooked into our desires isn't going to do anything for us either. Getting hooked into our desires doesn't make us make a change in our lives necessarily. We can enjoy the ride. We can fantasize about the different life that we're imagining. We can get lots of satisfaction sometimes from complaining about the current situation, from being really righteous about why what we have isn't what we deserve. And sometimes what we have isn't what we deserve. That's true. But when all we do is get pulled along by the hook, by the idea that there's something out there that's better, then we're not actually awake and aware to where we are right now. And attaching to that hook means that we can lose focus. We can become so single-minded on that one outcome that we imagine that we actually might be too caught up to take the kind of risk or to make the kinds of changes that could actually get us where we want to be. 
when we're hooked in, we're not in touch with our own experience. We're just thinking about the escape, the imagined other place. And what's most important about that is that when we're not in touch with our experience, we're not in touch with our truest self, our integrity. One of our core values here at Wellsprings is about living with integrity, which means possessing the humility and the vulnerability necessary so that we are able to make positive change. So that all, all of these little changes and choices that we make every single day, every single moment of our lives, we're making choices and things are changing around us. If we're aware, then we can practice lining those changes and choices up with our true desires. And so it took me a while to understand this, that desire and attachment are not the same thing. Desire is a sensation. It's an experience that arises just like all other different kinds of sensations and experiences we have. Because it's an experience, it's one that we can choose to attach to or not attach to. And if we become comfortable with it, our desires might actually point us towards the very things that will save us. They might open possibilities toward the heartfelt goals that we each have for our lives. So where does all this leave us with our little bear friend? What's up with the bear? This bear who is totally hooked on his hat. I don't know why the hat's so important to him. He might have a very good reason. But let's look at what his attachment to that hat does for him in the story. Here we are on page four. You might notice that the bear has met a rabbit. And he asked the rabbit, have you seen my hat? And the rabbit says, no, why are you asking me? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any hats anywhere. I would not steal a hat. Don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> what does the bear say? Okay, thank you anyway. And he moves on. It's right in front of him. But when we get hooked, it's easy to miss things. It's easy to miss the grace in the moment that's right in front of us. And so a few pages later, something very interesting happens. Our bear friend actually stops for a minute just to be with his desire, just to be with his grief and his sadness and his longing. And he says, nobody has seen my hat. What if I never see it again? What if nobody ever finds it? My poor hat. I miss it so much. And then something amazing happens. When he sits with that feeling, suddenly he remembers, I have seen my hat. And he goes running back through the forest, past all the different woodland creatures that he talked to, and he finds the rabbit. And I've got to tell you, there's this incredible standoff scene that I don't want to spoil for you. Go buy the book. <laughs> and then on the next page of the standoff, he has his hat back. Because he ate the rabbit. Yeah. Not cool, Bear. Not cool. But there are times, there are times in our lives probably 
when we've eaten the rabbit too, right? When we got what we wanted, but we had to sacrifice our integrity to do it. When we've hurt someone to get something that we wanted. We have all likely been burned. We've all likely burned someone over our desire and been burned. We all know what that's like too. But the burning and the hurting and the harming happens when we're not awake to our integrity, when we're so caught up on that hook that we've forgotten to pay attention, when we've lost our sense of compassion for ourselves and for each other. So Pima Shadron says that we can learn if we're willing to pay attention to ourselves with some love and some kindness, we can learn to look into our hooks, to see where they might catch us. We can come to know what it feels like when we're tensing or getting caught or all worked up. And we can learn not to bite down. I know that as I've started to look into this for myself, I see that I get hooked around money. I also get hooked around work, which I think might have something to do with my hook around money. Some people get hooked around carbohydrates. Some people get hooked around alcohol. Some people get hooked around perfection or romantic relationships or approval. Our hooks might express themselves as addictions from which we can seek recovery. Or they may simply express themselves as unconscious and unthinking habits that we fall into. But ultimately, when I sit with my hooks and when I get to know them, I realize that they all come back to a basic fear of disconnection. That if I lose or I can't get this thing that I want, I won't be loved or worthy or safe. And I hope that if you believe nothing else that I say this morning, that you believe when I tell you that there are lots of ways to be loved and worthy and safe. Don't ever give that power over to a substance or a report card or even a person. You are loved and worthy and safe regardless. The thing that you lack does not mean that you are lacking. If you've been around for a while, You might know what this is a picture of. This was my house. Two years ago when I came to Wellsprings as your intern, I was in the middle of the end of a relationship with my boyfriend that had lasted five years. And this was our beautiful, beautiful, God, I can't even tell you, gorgeous house. (laughs) Row home in South Philly. So the summer that I came to Wellsprings, I was in the process of moving out. And I was walking home one day, and there was an old woman sitting on the stoop with her grocery bags next to her. So I said, can I help you? Old woman sitting on the stoop of my house. She said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I was just carrying these heavy bags home, and I wanted to sit down somewhere and take a rest. And I've always admired this house. It's so beautiful. I love it. I just stared at it as I walked by, and I thought this would be a nice place to sit down. 
So we started talking. Turns out her name was Rose, and she's lived in the neighborhood her whole life. She told me all about how my beautiful house used to be a grocery store, a family-run and operated grocery store that she would go shopping in all the time. So she knew the insides and outsides of my house, actually. And she was telling me all these stories about the neighborhood, what it was like to grow up there. And she wanted to hear about my family. Asked me where my last name was from. You know, where are your people from kind of thing. And then she wanted to hear about my great-grandparents, where they came over from in Europe, where they ended up in the Philadelphia area, how I ended up in that row house in South Philly. And so finally, as we finished talking... She said, I'll I'll leave you alone. I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks for the chat. You're so lucky to have this house. (sighs) That hook, my lip, that knot tightening in my stomach because I'm losing it. I'm losing that house. My conversation with Rose made me realize that part of why I wanted that big, beautiful, eye-catching house in the city was so that people like Rose would stop and see me. That the thing that I wanted may have been the house, but just like any cute pair of shoes or shiny new phone, the thing that I actually want is for someone to stop and notice. The comment, the compliment that sparks the conversation, that brings me into deeper connection with someone else helps me to know myself as beloved on this earth. So amen. May you live in blessing right where you are. Let's pray together. Holy Presence, God of our hearts and our deepest yearnings, God who knows what we love. Help us to see that we are never separated from that love. Help us to understand that these things that call to us, they're all calling us back towards this love that's already here. That when we choose to act with integrity, with the beloved selves that we know we already are. That the light will only grow and shine brighter for us and everyone we meet. 